Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to an HBO podcast from the HBO Late Night series, Real Time with Bill Maher. I know it's hard to breathe in those masks. That looks like it will be ending soon. We have a reopening date here in California. June 15th. We'll all businesses at full capacity as of June 15th. And that's probably because we have California here, the lowest COVID positivity rate in the entire country, but still number one in herpes. So don't get down. So we are reopening. And now comes the hard part, thinking of something to tell all those people who you said, you know, I really want to get together when this is over. (laughs) (laughs) Some uh, sad news I must report here from uh, England. Uh, Prince Philip, Queen Elizabeth's dude. Uh, Shockingly dead at 99. He died today, yes. He died as he lived, peacefully in his sleep. Uh, Boy, and I tell you, bitter about that Harry thing (laughs) to the end. His last words were, I never bought Meghan Markle as a lawyer on suits. What a... So, uh, <laughs> Matt Gates is in the news. Do you know Matt Gates? He's a Republican, huge Trumper from uh, Florida. If you don't know him, show the picture, because uh, everybody knows. <clears throat> no, that's, that's not the right picture. Show the... Re- <clears throat> they do look a lot alike. He always has that look. <laughs> oh, sure, the picture gets applause. I Me, all my hard work... No, that's Matt. He always has that look on his face like, eat it, nerd. (laughs) But he's in big trouble. Have you heard this? He's uh, allegedly accused of sex uh, trafficking, sex with a minor, and showing nude pictures to the other guys at work. Uh, (laughs) Basically, all the stuff you assumed would be going on if no one had brought this up. (laughs) In his defense, his job title is Florida representative. Now, I... 
But I tell you, this guy did do some sleazy things. <laughs> I mean, this Matt First of all, he was uh, allegedly giving ecstasy to these uh, women. And, uh, you know, Republican ecstasy, I have to tell you, is a little different. <laughs> oh, good, they're catching on faster now. I... Yes, it is. It's a little... You stay up all night hugging the flag and screwing poor people. <laughs> it's a little different. Also, the videos of nude women, you know, this is... uh, He had these, he was showing them around. Uh, He showed one of a nude woman with a hula hoop, and Lindsey Graham said, I have never seen anything like that. Also, is that a hula hoop? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh... (laughs) Different tonight. Okay, so, uh... But uh, apparently, Matt Gates. listen to this, he asked before any of we knew any of this, he asked the Trump White House when you know, Fatso was still in office, <laughs> if he could have a blanket preemptive pardon, <laughs> as, in, as innocent people do, <laughs> for any future crimes. He didn't even specify, just a blanket pardon. And Donald, of course, Donald Trump today spoke out on this. He said, uh, that is bullshit. He said, it is a total fake news story. Everybody knows that when I was in the White House, all legitimate requests for pardons had to go through the Kardashians. Uh, and, and... And today it's in the news with Matt Gates that uh, it, report, it was reported, I don't know, but that his associate in this endeavor with the young women uh, is pled not guilty but is going to change it to guilty... Uh, and probably testify against Matt Gates and say that Matt Gates, listen to this, used Venmo to send $900 to this guy who then sent the money to the women, uh, which ironically is one of the only times that trickle-down economics has actually worked. Um... <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> I kid Matt Gates. You know what? I think he's, a, he's, I think he's sad about this. He, Matt knows that traveling a 17-year-old girl across state lines is wrong, and he said he regrets it, uh, mainly because she played Cardi B the whole way. <laughs> Just... He obviously didn't check if she had ID. Thank God they didn't try to take her to vote. Yeah. Right, there's a guy who gets it. Okay. But, uh, you know, there are scandals on on all sides. Uh, The Daily Mail is reporting that uh, Biden's son, Hunter Biden, uh, (laughs) had his own Pornhub account where he posted videos of him having sex with two women at the same time. I got to say this. As hobbies go, I'll take this over Trump's son's hunting endangered species. How about that? And, uh... But... The the Daily Mail is also saying that Hunter Biden posted a photo, or they did, of Hunter with his teeth worn down to the nubs, possibly because of meth use. And still, the teeth look better than Prince Phillips. All right, we've got a great show. We've got Heather McGee and Brian Salam are here. But first, he served as the 32nd Secretary of State of California, is now California's newest Democratic senator. Wow, he's on our show, Senator Alex Padilla. Okay, Senator, how are you? I... Thank you, thank you. So, 
I almost went back to shaking your hand, but it's still too early to do that. The uh, how about the elbow bump? Yeah, okay, but uh, are we going to go back to shaking hands? Because I've been out a couple of times recently, and I see people. I thought when the pandemic hit, we had decided even when it's over, we're not going to go back to that. And I, I see people. I, I think we will if we want to, right? What did you say? If, I never uh, thought it added anything to any relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but all, apparently all those, I was All those wrong. people you promised to see once the pandemic is over? Are those, those folks? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was something we were going to get rid of, but I think people need touching. People are, are craving human contact, so I'm glad our state... Absolutely. Is... And probably no, nobody more than our kids. You know, as a parent of uh, three boys, right. this homeschooling stuff has been tough. I don't know who's more eager to, and, and needs to have kids go back to school, the kids or yeah. the parents. It's been tough. Definitely the parents, <laughs> from what I hear. But I don't talk to the kids, thank God. Um, so uh, you really worked your way up in this state. You did every job, and good for you. Now you're the senator. You represent 20 million people, about, right? Does oh. it bug you as much as it bugs me that the Dakota Territory... <laughs> which I refuse to admit should have... They shouldn't, it shouldn't even be one state... <laughs> At most one state, but definitely not two. But there's four senators from the Dakota Territory that represent about two and a half million people, and you represent one guy represents 20 million. So, well, that's, uh, that's got to change, right? Uh, it, it should change on a number of fronts. It's, it's why things don't, why not more things get done through the Senate. But let's go back to the Electoral College, right? That's not one person, Same one idea. vote. Right. Uh, exactly. By the way, it's 40 million. I represent all Californians, not just folks from my I know, party. but we have two senators. Two, well, but we, we both represent them all. We don't, we don't split them up. <laughs> you know what I meant. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's one of those long-lasting things that needs to be corrected. Go back to, you know, the, the founding of our nation and how imperfect it was from the original sin in uh, the Electoral College. Made a lot of progress on a number of things, but uh, representative democracy still needs some work. Right. And, and California, you know, has been a... Uh, we have been a real leader because our size fifth largest economy in the world, and this number of people within the United States gives California an enormous power, um, which we have <laughs> mostly used for good, like <laughs> emission standards. I mean, you couldn't build a car nationally if you couldn't sell it in the California market. So when we raised our emission standards, Detroit had to make better cars, more environmentally friendly cars for the whole country. Why can't we do that for agriculture? Factory farming is just as bad for the environment as automobiles are. Uh, we see from this pandemic, zootonic diseases. This wasn't the first. It won't be the last. When is there going to be a politician who will take on big agriculture the way some have taken on the automobile industry? Yeah, well, I, I think it's happening already. And it's a combination of, you know, California tends to lead the way through state policy and through state laws and eventually ripples to the national level. Uh, and, and sometimes, despite the imperfect, again, Electoral College, U.S. Senate, uh, filibuster, et cetera, that needs to go, um, there's an opportunity to leverage the size of our state, right? It's not a coincidence we're the most populous state in the nation, the most diverse state in the nation, uh, the largest electorate of any state in the nation, the largest economy of any state in the nation. Um, leveraging it through market power, as you said, vehicle emission standards, it's going to come back. You know, California leads the way. Uh, we'll, we'll do it for agriculture. Uh, but 
We will? Factory farming? I mean, it's... I believe so, and in different ways. I mean, it's uh, already at the state level, they're innovating in capturing a lot of those emissions, methane gas, cow farts, yes, that can be converted to energy uh, as part of the evolution uh, of the industry. And what about the cruelty involved? The cruelty? We, oh. Well, we don't really need to torture them before we eat them, do we? Uh, no. And, uh, look, there's, it's not just California leaders alone speaking up. My good friend, uh, you might have met him, Senator Cory Booker, uh, has been an outstanding voice uh, and policy leader on pointing out uh, the injustices and cruelty of a lot of the agricultural industry, the corporatization of it, not just in the United States, look what's happening to family farmers in India, for example, uh, and how much more work that uh, we need to do. So what... Why do, you, uh, why do you think Trump in the last election did better than he did in the first one and better with minorities? Yeah. It's, uh, look, it's a scary reminder, right? A lot of people have uh, celebrated that Trump is behind us. Uh, but he got more votes than any candidate for president in the history of the country, except for one. Thankfully, Joe Biden in 2020. But, but that victory... That victory is kind of glossed over what's happening underneath. Why did he get so many votes and how he got, you know, more votes maybe on the southern Texas border than he did in the first election? I think as a proud Democrat, it's also a reminder that Democrats can't take anything for granted. And, uh, you know, we get caught up in this national messaging, bigger picture issues, but every mm-hmm. community is a little bit different. Uh, and candidates at the federal, state and local level can't forget to connect with voters locally, uh, both in what matters most to them and how we're communicating. Do you know uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego in Arizona? Uh, we've met, yes, You've, absolutely. Okay, so he was asked after the election, what can Democrats do better to collect, to connect to Latino voters? And he said, well, you can start by not saying Latinx. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know, maybe it's Latinx. I don't know if I'm La- even saying that correctly. Latinx, that, that's but, all right. Different but what do you think about a, that comment from him? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's his opinion, and I respect it. I don't completely agree. And, uh, I mean, hearing you say it just throws me back to the years and years of debates, not just in college, by the way, of Hispanic versus Latino versus Chicano versus Mexican-American, where we get caught up in the terminology, and it means it comes across different ways to different people in different parts of the country. Uh, Latinx, look, for the younger generation especially, it is... Uh, purposeful. It is more than just symbolic. Uh, the Spanish language, you have feminine versus masculine uh, nouns, and the move to Latinx is one way of saying, you know what, if we're all equal, let's let our language reflect. But I think he was saying that because he, his polling showed that most Latinx people <laughs> either don't know the term or when they hear it, don't like it. Yeah, it's relatively it's, new for some. It's, uh, but again, I'd be interested in the, in the cross tabs, if you will, right, the underlying data in polling. For older voters, yeah, maybe not nearly as popular. For younger voters, which is uh, the growing part of the Latino electorate, uh, it is... It is um, they, they, they embrace it. Okay, so... Um, we. <clears throat> Very woke crowd tonight. It's gonna, <laughs> All right. It's going to be like a rough it. fucking show coming up for you people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So uh, we have, some people say, a crisis at the border. They've apprehended more people than they have for about 15 years uh, recently. But it's seasonal. We also know that. Um, <clears throat> what is the correct percentage 
or amount, do you think, of immigration? Is there a number? Yeah. If I want... if. if the person who says the highest number possible, is he the better person? <laughs> or is it just, or is there something we can apply more logic to? Yeah. Look, I don't know if there's a precise number or percentage, as you asked. What we, what we do know is that throughout the course of our history as a country, waves of immigrants from all over the world have led to our strength as a country, not just a growing population, but, you know, a growing economy and, and the strength of our imperfect democracy. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you recognize it's a, a seasonal uptick in the numbers. Some years it's a bigger increase every spring. Some, some years it's not as big of an increase. What we're seeing right now is not just an increased number of families, a lot of unaccompanied minors uh, showing up at the border, but the consequences of starving the very agencies that process asylum seekers. Let's be clear as to who these kids are. It's not rapists. It's not drug dealers. They are asylum seekers fleeing natural disasters, fleeing poverty, in many cases fleeing violence. They're literally running for their lives, and they deserve to be treated humanely. Well, I agree with all that. <laughs> and, and, and by Didn't the answer way, my question, but I agree with all I, that. I know, but and okay. by the way, this, uh, you know, whatever the number is this spring, it's clearly a group uh, separate and apart. So let's not be distracted by, the, uh, by them and not get done the justice that the 11 million currently living in the United States undocumented immigrants, what they need in terms of security and a pathway to citizenship. My first bill uh, introduced as, as in the United States Senate would offer a pathway to citizenship for all non-citizen essential workers that have been sacrificing and serving the rest of us throughout the course of this pandemic. So it... All right. So just final question. We're, we're, looks like we're going to have a recall of the governor in this state. This is insanity. This is one of those stupid things California does. We actually have too much democracy in this state. I don't want to have to vote on everything. We have too many propositions, dialysis machines. Why am I voting on this every two years? <laughs> I don't even know what the issue is with dialysis machines, but it's on the ballot every year. we got to stop this, right? We, we should not be recalling this governor. It, it, no, I, look, I agree completely. <laughs> two, two things. It's going to be a circus. I remember what it was last time. Every unemployed actor in the state is going to be running. So two, two things. One, Caitlyn you know, Jenner's well, running. Once again, what's the right number? Is it too much too little? I'd, I'd, I'd err on the side of too much democracy, not enough. When it comes to the recall, here's the hypocrisy of it and what really pisses me off. The same Republican forces that refused to hold Trump accountable... Uh, over the course of his four years, or even for the insurrection of January 6th, are now setting their sights on Governor Newsom because of the Trump administration's failures to respond to COVID earlier in the pandemic? Give me a break. Right. All right. Thanks. Congratulations on Thank your you. new job. You. All right. Let's meet our panel. Hey. Hello, sir. How are you? All right, she is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Sum of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together. Heather McGee is back with us, Heather. And he's the president of the Manhattan Institute and a contributing writer at The Atlantic, Raihan Salam, our returning champion. How are you? Good to see you, sir. Well, I'm in a pretty good mood tonight, I have to tell you, because for the first time in over a year, I got booked on the road again. Hey! Going back on the roads. I know. 
Life returning. I'll, I'll be back at the Mirage in Vegas in July. I'm so happy I'll be able to bore you again with where I'm going over the weekend. I'll be in Cincinnati on <laughs> Please, please, Jesus, let that happen. Okay. But, uh, okay, so um, one of the unexpected developments, I think, of the Biden administration has been that he really is turning out to be more radical than the guy he served as vice president, or so it looks. I mean, no one can say he's not going big. He's, you know, he'd go big or go home. He's doing it. I mean, this guy <laughs> turns out his new budget, $1.52 trillion. He turned, trillion is nothing to this guy. He's, in <laughs> fact, he, he, he always just won at the Hustler Casino, you know, the way he spends money. But, you know, trust in government seems to be, I think, the big issue he's going to face, because when you want to do big things... You know, people are going to ask, can you do them well? Can you do them without wasting all our money? Should we trust government to do something on the scale that he is suggesting with the infrastructure program? And when I say infrastructure, that really encompasses almost anything you want to put under that title. Um, And it's, they're saying, $3 trillion. Should we trust government with that kind of cash? I think we have to because we've been starving ourselves for the past 50 years, right? The, the definition of, an, of infrastructure really should be the things that we need to make all other work and all other productivity possible. So, yes, it's ports and roads and bridges, but also, as we really recently learned during the pandemic, it's child care and elder care and the kinds of things that make it possible for, you know, a mechanic in a small town to fix a carburetor because they actually need rural broadband. All of those things absolutely need to be thought of as infrastructure. The thing I'm most excited about is ripping up all the lead pipes in the country so that parents don't have to worry that they're giving their children disabilities by turning right. on the tap, right? These are the types of things that absolutely should be no-brainers in the country with the largest economy on Earth. And so to this question of trust in government, I think it's really real, right? We have so let, um, you know, poor services for the poor be what exactly we've come to expect from government. And I'm someone who believes in the power and the possibility and the necessity of doing together what we simply can't do on our own, and yet we've got to hold government to the highest possible standard, and hopefully young people will be going and designing public goods and services and not, you know, photo-sharing apps, because we believe in what we can do together, <laughs> right? That's, oh, that's the goal. You are a dreamer. I am. Yeah, that would no, uh, be great. One way I strongly agree with Heather is the idea that we ought to hold government to high standards. And we hold government to exceptionally low standards. The United States is not a country that does not spend very much. In fact, you know, if you look at state governments, for example, you've had 30 years of self-described conservative Republicans in state after state. They don't spend substantially less than Democrats. They move in exactly the same direction. And what you see time and again is basically very expensive government services delivering incredibly low-quality services to people who need them. So I think another way of looking at this is just the idea that, look, government, we should demand more from it. We should expect them to do more within their means. And what you're seeing right now when you're describing President Biden, what you see is this moment when people are pretending that there are no limits. So literally, if President Biden had done nothing over the next 30 years, you would have seen $100 trillion dollars in additional federal debt over the next 30 years. Now, he said, let's spend another $11 trillion. He said recently, hey, we also are going to increase taxes by $3 trillion. But again, that's against an increase in debt 
of well over 100 trillion, right? So the thing is that when you talk about government, whether or not we believe in it, the true test is whether or not people are actually willing to pay. And we're in this moment of suspended animation where we're pretending that we won't actually have to pay. If you look at other democracies that deliver higher quality services, that actually are more efficient when it comes to government, they do something really crazy. They spend and then they tax. And what they say is, we're going to take money from you this time. We're going to give money to you another time. But that's how you see that people really believe in it. They're actually willing to pay the piper. And the problem now is that, again, we're in this moment of fantasy politics. And it was true under President Trump. It's true now under President Biden, although turn up to 11, where we're able to pretend that we don't actually have to see to it that the resources are really there. And that leads to this kind of gross inefficiency and this lack of scrutiny, which is really dangerous. But the majority of Americans want there to be higher taxes on the wealthy, particularly when they know it's going to be used to take care of a problem that has been a problem for as long as I've been alive, the problem that we have failed to tend to our basic needs in this country. In my book, I write about this phenomenon that happened where we used to build things in America. And Donald Trump wasn't wrong about that, right? That nostalgia for an America that put a man on the moon and built the Hoover Dam and the highway system, that's something that unites people of all backgrounds in this country, this sense of American greatness. And a big part of it was this ethos that said, you know what, we are going to take care of our people. We are going to have a higher and higher standard of living in this country, the highest in the world. And that was about public amenities, public goods, public services. You know, I talk about the public pools that we used to have, nearly 2,000 of them in this country. Swimming pools. Swimming pools. I'm talking about swimming pools. Like, not a big deal, maybe, but it was sort of this We had one in my town, the Grove. It was a hole. It was a (laughs) hole in the ground. It had no... It was just sand. It was shitty, but but we loved it. I mean, (laughs) it was like a big thing when it came into town. It was a big thing when it came into town. There were almost 2,000 of them in the country, and in a lot of places in the country, they were segregated. And so when the civil rights movement allowed black families to say, hey, those are our tax dollars. We want our families to swim, too. What town after town in this country did was drain their public swimming pool rather than integrate it. Mm -hmm. And you began to see, with the civil rights movement, a turn away of the white majority from the idea that they want government to have a high, high, robust role in securing economics, you know, freedom and opportunity for everyone, because they had to share it across lines of race. So I'm excited about taking care of public needs again for a diverse public. What I keep coming back to is uh, just this little, incredibly boring statistic that I'm a little obsessed with. In Paris, it costs basically less than one-seventh to build a subway station as it does in New York City. Now, now, you know... And California, please. We know this, too. We tried to build... Beyond. It's absolutely beyond. Right, like... $200 $200 million a mile, and in, Paris, and in France, right, it was like $13 million or something. Maybe I have those numbers wrong, but it was a ridiculous discrepancy. And this is France you're talking about. Exactly. Not a country unknown to strikes. Right. And <laughs> unions. I hope you're not going to blame it on labor unions workers because work. the bad comparison well, with look, France. Well, labor unions <laughs> certainly play their part. There's right. quite a lot going on, right? And when you're looking at health expenditures, for example, uh, you know, we spend a staggering amount on public health insurance. We spend as much on public health insurance to cover a fifth of the population as, for example, Canada spends on their entire population. And that's because, you know, those dollars are being spent on a range of different things, but we're not being stingy 
when it comes to meeting no. these needs. What's happening is that the systems are so broken, and rather than fix those systems, we're talking about shoveling more money into them. That's not compassion. That's well, fecklessness. You'd like to think we could fix them before we shovel the money. Absolutely. Right. And All demand right. more. <clears throat> All right. Well, listen, since I'm in such a good mood... Yes. And I'm always, always looking on the bright side. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a bong half-full kind of guy. So I'm going to look on the bright side of something that's horrendous. But, you know, Democrats do have a haplot of downplaying achievements. It's not the best thing they do. They're terrible at bragging or saying, boy, we won one. Okay, so and it's very dangerous these days in America to celebrate progress kind of not allowed to do that, because then they say, well, you're not, you don't care enough about fixing the things that are still wrong. Yes, you can do both. You can have two thoughts in your head. <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching this Derek Chauvin trial, and, you know, many of us who've been talking about the cops for a very long time, I certainly have, editorials, panel discussions, and I've had my list of complaints about the cops, which I'm sure they've taken note of. <laughs> and... One of the one, recurring theme was, <clears throat> at some point, the blue wall of silence has to crack. I mean, I've been saying this for decades, and I'm only 35. <laughs> um, and now, I mean, I'm looking at... This has finally happened in the last five years, culminating, I think, in this trial. I mean, is just uncalled for, is what his supervisor said on the stand. This never used to happen. Cops never did this. The, pol- the police chief, that in no way, shape, or form is anything that is by our policy. Cops used to all... The, you, until five years ago, you could never win a trial against cops. They'd always be up there saying, you don't understand what it's like to be a cop. Yes, I also don't understand what it's like to be in the frozen yogurt industry. You're right, I don't. <laughs> Not that... <laughs> Cops are a harder job. I get it. But that was their thing. Like, you know, look at the tape again. You don't know what we see every... And now this has gone away. It's like, no, we do see. We're not cops. It has not robbed us of being sentient beings. And they're finally testifying against their own. Can we celebrate a moment that this is a big fucking deal? Okay. It's a big fucking deal. Absolutely we can. (laughs) And in fact... One of the first rules of good organizing is to celebrate the wins along the way because right. people need that sense of hope, yes. right? I mean, and let's be clear here. Like, the idea of hope is so central to black politics in America. You have Jesse Jackson, Keep Hope Alive, Barack Obama, Hope and Change, right? right. I-, I can't sit here as I do as the descendant of enslaved people and not have hope, right? This is not something that is a stranger to us. And in fact... I think that what you're seeing right now with the blue wall beginning to crumble is the result of massive organizing and the fact that the greatest, largest social movement in American history happened this summer because of a video that we saw, a public execution of a man as the whole world watched this video taken by a 17-year-old who should never have had to be in that role, right? Um, And you saw in 90% of uh, the demonstrations this summer were in majority white counties, right? There's so much progress. New Mexico, just this past week, became the second state to end this thing that should not exist anymore, and the majority of the American people oppose, which is qualified immunity for state actors, the idea that I can't sue you if you knowingly um, break the law because you're a government agent, like, that definitely should no longer be the case, and the majority of people agree in this country. 
So there's a lot of progress. Um, so I grew up uh, in Brooklyn, New York. I still live there now. At a time when, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, at a time when um, it was a pretty violent and frightening place to be. I was a victim of crime on a um, number of occasions. Uh, so was my father. So was my mother. It was something that we, uh, you know, lived in a not necessarily the best or fanciest neighborhood. You know, we loved it. It was ours. My folks didn't want to leave the city. They never did. They're still there. And um, it was a dangerous, scary time. And you basically treated it as kind of like the weather. You know. It's a rainstorm. You know, you get mugged. That's what happens. And then, you know, for 25 years or so, you had a pretty steep decrease in crime. It was really hard fought. It was really hard won. It happened for a lot of reasons. The police were a really big part of it. So was the revitalization of a lot of neighborhoods that had been forgotten and neglected. But what you've seen more recently is a change. Uh, What you've seen is crime come back in a lot of communities. You've seen a surge in the number of shootings. You've seen a surge in the number of murders. You would see more murders if only we hadn't gotten a lot better at treating gunshot wounds. And um, part of the story, I think, uh, is the fact that you know, over the course of the 2010s, the per capita rate of police in this country went down by about 8 9%. In New York City in 2020, it went down by another 7%. There's a generation of police who joined departments in the mid-'90s and on those guys are retiring. A lot of them are retiring, guys and gals, I should say. A lot of them are retiring sooner than they would have otherwise. Port- Portland has an exodus of, uh, I mean, I mean, if, you, if you're one of those people who wants Antifa to get results, uh, you win. Do you want <laughs> They may police? not be the one you want, but 115 police officers have left the Portland. That's a lot. Uh, in a city that size. Bill, you're talking about progress, and the question is, how do you build on the progress? And the way to build on the progress, I would argue, is saying, we demand more of our police. We expect more of them. We expect them to treat people with respect. That is incredibly valuable and important, but that means making this an esteemed and valued profession that might actually mean seeing to it that we might have to pay people more. We might have to treat them a little bit differently to ensure that we have those people who are public-spirited and willing to put themselves in danger. So I think that we can't lose sight of that. Let's build on this progress. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I think most of them are are paid pretty well. Uh, I don't think that's the issue. Uh, I I mean, again, I've had my list of complaints. One of them with the police is somewhere they got it in their head that they could never have a moment where they were at risk. If they felt at risk at all, just empty the clip into whatever's worrying you. Now, it's a dangerous job, although by statistics, not even in the top ten. It's not a slag against cops. I'm just, that's the fact. Uh, Daredevils like cab drivers and linemen and fishermen, it's a more dangerous job. But I agree, it's a dangerous, stressful job, and we should compensate them. But... We have to have, right? Yeah, so, you have to have limits. You limits. Have, yes, no, yes. absolutely. Look, you have but to you're right. Limits. We have to feel, they cannot feel, I mean, this Portland, one retiring detective said, the community shows zero support. The mayor and the council ignore actual facts on crime. I'm just saying Portland, it's a cautionary tale because mm-hmm. we do not want to live in a world without police. Then it's the purge every night. <laughs> so if you think that's a great idea... I think we want to live in a world where most of the things that lead to police interactions are stopped way beforehand, and yes. we know that's and the about... drug war. Yes, thank you. That, okay. All right. All right. So listen, um, 
One of our favorite segments on the show, as people know, is 24 Things <laughs> You Don't Know About, uh, which uh, one of those tabloids stole from us. <laughs> and did as their own. I hate that, that people rip us off like that. But we thought, you know, it's such a good thing to let people know about somebody who they're getting curious about. And this week, everyone's curious about this Matt Gates guy. So we thought, what better time to do Matt Gates, <laughs> 24 Things You Don't Know About Me. Uh, for example, uh, my favorite dating app is Venmo. <laughs> I recently sponsored a bill to name a post office after Charlie Sheen. (laughs) That's indicative of... I'm the first member of Congress to scent my press releases with Axe body spray. (laughs) I'd say Billie Eilish is hot, I guess, if you're into older chicks. (laughs) I've been to over 200 proms. Oh, no. I've been to both traffic school and sex traffic school. Wow, that's... I think all those Republicans who talk shit about me behind my back need to man up and tweet it from a fake account with a bogus name. (laughs) My go-to pickup line is, do you come here often or does your mom just drop you off in the morning? So, okay. So here... (laughs) So here's the thing. Now, Matt Gates, my prediction, five, four, three, two, one, is going to blame this very soon on cancel culture. Yeah. yeah. Because, and this is, this is not a good development, this, the fact that the critique of cancel culture is getting a bad name. Yeah. Because cancel culture does need to be critiqued. It's so, over now. Um, there's this guy, Myers Leonard. Never heard of him. He's a basketball player, and I watch basketball, so he must be a scrub. (laughs) I didn't even mean that. (laughs) Anyway, he got canceled. Boy, did he get canceled this week. I mean, whew. Uh, He was streaming himself playing Call of Duty on Twitch. There's nothing in that sentence I understand. (laughs) Or want to. Do I not get... Twitch, (laughs) Call of Duty and streaming, I don't, and I'm so good with that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he used a Jewish slur. It begins with K. I won't say it because babies out there can't take it when you say a bad word. And we want to have the focus on the issue. Um, Anyway, I'm sure you know what the word is. There's not that many names for uh, bad names. And he he said he didn't even know what it meant. I completely believe him since he's playing (laughs) Twitch. I mean, on Twitch, whatever the fuck. I mean, before the day was out, banned, fined by the NBA, and traded. I mean, and then (laughs) they're making him, of course, the groveling apology. And then he's meeting with rabbis, Holocaust survivors. Do we have to drag the Holocaust into this? Really? Passover, he goes on, has to go on Zoom in front of college kids so they can yell at him. Does everything have to be a summary execution in America? What happened to just accepting the apology? Oh, okay, you made a mistake, as humans do. 
I mean, can we get on with our lives? I mean, and look, I was raised Catholic, but my mother is Jew. Well, not really, but she's sort of a Jew. I mean, she, she never was in a temple. Anyway, but that's our family. Could I, does that give me enough cred to say for the Jews, don't do it again, Myers Leonard, whoever the fuck you are. And that's it. I accept. Don't do it again. Can we get on with our lives? I mean, I don't know <laughs> who that person is. This is Thank news you. to me on that story. I hear what you're saying. The world in which real people live is also the world in which there are massive consequences for, you know, working class people, for low income people. I'm thinking about um, a teacher at my kid's school who was saying that the school he taught at before, if a kid came in with the wrong color socks, they would be sent home. Right, this kind of like no excuses, broken windows theory in charter school classrooms. And it's like there's this world in the which there are colors. so... I don't well, yeah, because it's a uniform, a dress code, right? So, But, oh. like, I mean, there are not two pair of socks in my house that match. So I don't know how I would be able to do that for my family. But Wait. it's this sort of How is like, this comforting to Myers Leonard? Well, no, <laughs> I just mean, like, I, I think more about not like a millionaire NBA player and what he does and doesn't I don't know do. if he's a millionaire. Well, I assume he is, right? But just okay. like he's a powerful person. But, I think well, more about how much... It's such the, bullshit, that, right? So it, so would they have done it if it was the star of the team? I, well, but I think... I don't... Would they have done this if... It, probably mean, it, more, right? I mean, probably more, I would have really? heard of it if he was the star of the team. Would well, I I'm not going to even name a person because they wanted, I don't want to associate them with using a racial slur, but... Uh, or you know, playing so, Call of Duty. But the, okay, but there could be a big-name NBA player, uh -huh. somebody or anybody who just didn't understand this term or used it uh, in a fit of anger and regretted it. Would they have suspended him? I don't think so. So building on they're, what they're Heather had said a moment ago, I actually think that this cuts in a somewhat different direction. So my view is that the conversation about cancel culture, you know, some people find it frustrating, some people find it annoying or misplaced, but the reason it's important to talk about it, the reason it's important to critique it, is that there actually are a ton of people yes. who do not have resources, who do not have lawyers, who are pretty much defenseless, and so part of what you're seeing is people who actually are visible and powerful where it's happening to them, but I promise you it's happening 5x, 10x to a lot of other people who don't have that kind of weight, also, just, and I think that that's It's American bloodlust for groveling. It's just gross. I don't want to be part of that team. And, and also, you know, you're right. People, it's, it's actual jobs and lives people are losing, but also I don't want to live in a country where we have the red guard. It's very, you guys know what I'm talking about during the Cultural Revolution. We have yeah. a red guard in this country now. The, we shouldn't. Uh, the argument that I find interesting and challenging and that I struggle with is the idea that, look, part of what's happened in our society is that people who did not have voice and power before have it now. And when people have voice and power, if you offend them, if you offend their sensibilities, you're going to hear about it. And that is part of the healthy give and take of any culture, right? It's just that we're hearing from more people now. I get it. But I also think that you need to have this sense of forgiveness that you were describing before, just the idea that you can be ignorant, you are not necessarily worthy of a death sentence if you make a mistake. That people used to say that. They used to say that was an ignorant comment rather than you are a deeply immoral person right. who needs to be punished for the rest of your life. There and I you think go. that that's important.
And also, I must say, one of the bad things about this is that people who don't follow politics as much as the folks who watch this show are going to lump this issue in with other issues. I saw... Now, everyone knows what's going on in Georgia right now. The All-Star Game was pulled out of Georgia because Major League Baseball and a number of corporations are protesting the voting rights laws, anti-voting, really, laws that Georgia has passed. Okay. Now, I saw it described somewhere as a social justice issue. Okay, voting. This is not some silly woke issue. This is fundamental stuff. This, this is fundamental stuff. This is, you know... The, the Republican Party really only has one strategy now, which is stop voting. Stop people from voting and even don't respect elections. Mm-hmm. That's, their, that's their strategy now. Don't beat the other team. Beat the refs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as you know, as I said, Major League Baseball's out. Also, Coke, Coca-Cola, which is one of the most identified brands, certainly in Atlanta, if not the whole world, but definitely it's associated with that, that city. And so that, now the governor of Texas, who was going to throw out the first ball at his game, did not going to do that because we're taking sides now. It's so interesting now. You could, it's, we're going to get down to, the, I think, a place where the Democrats drink Pepsi or drink <laughs> Coke, and then the Republicans will have to drink... You, know, you think that's where we're heading? I mean, we seem to be politicizing even the products we, we use. Yeah. We're, gonna, we're taking this to the cereal aisle <laughs> in America. This, we're, I thought we were going to come together, and we're just... So... You know, this issue is deadly serious, exactly as you're saying, right? Let's be very clear. The Georgia election law is based on a lie, and it's a lie that compelled a 1,000 people to try to rush the Capitol and do what they would have done um, and led to six people being killed. It's still a lie that animates the Republican Party, and it's a lie that makes the majority of Republicans think that Donald Trump won the election, right? So this is actually really dangerous stuff. And yet, it is true that when we're seeing corporations have to hold the line on basic American values because they know that the Republican Party won't, right? That is the wake-up call for corporate America since Donald Trump was that, oh, wait, there are just... We, there are some things we didn't have to be a part of because, like, politics, two parties would have protected at least that. Right. And, and this is no longer one of them, right? We right. have study after study now that's showing that in... Places where Republicans take control, the democracy suffers. And this is not just about power. It's about, fundamentally, a fear of sharing our democracy with the America that we're becoming. Well, losing elections. They just, it's about losing they, elections. They, they know they're on, a, on the wrong side of the demographics. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Um, I, mean that, I mean, that was Trump's genius back in 2016, as he said, you know, everyone's saying that about the Republicans, but I look around and maybe we got a couple more elections in us. I still see a lot of white people. But that is going to change. And you are not going... I mean, the, the reason why I think Coca-Cola, which is a company that cares a lot about money... Now, maybe the people who had a big corporation like that are just wonderful people. Right. But I think, basically, they look around and they, and they probably talk to the younger people in the office. Yeah. No, employees are and, really organizing And they go, who do we want on our side to be drinking Coca-Cola? The people right. who are the future of the country... Right or the cranky white people who are dying off. There's a legitimate debate to be had. We want... 
I think that's what's driving this. There's a legitimate debate to be had about the particulars of the Georgia legislation, but I also think that there's this incredibly apocalyptic rhetoric, which ignores the fact that in many respects, this law is actually expanding voting access. Uh, you know, again, there's a legitimate debate to be had, and Georgia is a competitive state what, what, in which Democrats... the Georgia law? Absolutely. It, it, it's expanding access where they want it expanded, like in the rural areas. It's, it's actually is it, much broader access than a number of other states, including my home state of New York. Uh, no, so, well, look, you that's can not true. It. That's been a right-wing talking point, but Georgia is 49th in terms of ease of voting. New York is 17. Now, the, the, it's like, also the desire to... absentee ballots. It's also expanding uh, early voting beyond many other states, certainly than New York. I mean, I think... But, that's no, a but the, I mean, all of those things are... We could... This is actually deeply boring, and I'm an election law person, so I'm not going to get way into it, um, but... This is the issue. Georgia's move is based on a lie. It is based on a response to historic turnout and black political power, changing the direction of the state. New York, God bless it, where both of us live, has never had great election laws. We've got two things on the ballot this fall. And overall, you can't compare what's happening in a state that was a Jim Crow state that had poll taxes, violent repression, until 56 years ago. We have not... We've had a multiracial democracy in this country for 56 years. And when you see a party that has firmly said our, our game plan is to hold on to white power, and then they begin to rewrite the rules in a way that makes it harder, not just for black people to vote. I, I'm very clear that this is a blunt instrument that definitely is aimed at black people, but as so many ways in which racism works and structural racism works... It's impacting young people, married women who have the wrong name of their birth certificates, all of these things. And it's a part of 360 laws that have been introduced this year to make it harder for people to vote by the Republican Party. And a lot, this is, and a lot of it There's a huge amount of alarmism about this because it's an effective political tool. And I think that what you're actually seeing is increases in voter turnout. What you've seen study after study find is that measures like the measures in the Georgia law do not have a meaningful effect on diminishing turnout or on political outcomes. Again, I would welcome a legitimate, serious conversation. Perhaps these laws need to be changed. But what you're seeing now is a lot of alarmism that motivates people. It motivates small-dollar donors. And it actually winds up having the effect of coarsening the conversation. But it looks like this law is working backwards to if the election that we had in November was now, how could we have thrown it to Trump in the way that we failed in November? Particularly putting partisan Uh, uh, people in the election counting. So the Secretary of State of Georgia, who was the person who stood against what President Trump was trying to do, has been replaced. That's right. He's He's been been replaced. That's right. He also has defended the voter access law. But he's not there anymore. Anyway, i got to go to New Rules. Thank you, panel. You were great. New Rules. Okay, new rule. If you're a restaurant like the one in Detroit that's banning people from entering because they smell like marijuana, (laughs) you need to learn a little bit more about marijuana. (laughs) People who are high will order everything you have on the menu. And (laughs) And if you bring them the wrong food, they'll still eat that, too. Telling stoners not to come to your restaurant is like a dive bar saying, if you're depressed, trying to get laid, or struggling to pick up the pieces of a broken marriage, don't even think about drinking here. (laughs) 
There were all the Facebook automated technology that flagged and banned this ad for being too overtly sexual. Must be recalibrated. Because if these onions make you hot, you should see the ones in the fishnet bag. Neural scientists must explain why putting your key in the front door makes you have to pee. <laughs> does. And since it does, why doesn't putting your key in the back door make you have to poop? I just want to ask that one question. <laughs> Neural restaurants that deliver can stop putting forks in the bag. If someone has a street address, they probably have forks. I myself have over a dozen. <laughs> I know, humble brag. But they come in handy because no woman likes to hear, how do you like your eggs in the morning and do you mind eating them with your fingers? That's. The... <laughs> we have no rehearsal anymore. We just, we're, we're flying blind here. New rule, the federal authorities who just announced they're putting migrant families up in local hotels have to admit they're sending a mixed message. Don't come, but if you do, bring a bathing suit. <laughs> also, if these families aren't under detention, how come there's a sign at the end of the hall that says ICE? <laughs> and finally, new rule, the Oscars need to change their name to the Debbies. As in Debbie Downer. Because judging by this year's Best Picture nominees, you couldn't have a worse time at the movies if there was an active shooter in the theater. <laughs> a new poll found that less than half of Americans now go to church. They don't have to. If they want to feel guilty, dirty, and bad, they can watch Nomadland. <laughs> That's the one about the woman who winds up living in her van after her husband dies of cancer. In Judas and the Black Messiah, the FBI kills the leader of the Black Panthers, and in the trial of the Chicago 7, the FBI kills the leader of the Black Panthers again. <laughs> Promising young woman has Carrie Mulligan avenging a murderous rapist, but then he kills her too. And she was so close to joining the Black Panthers. Sound of Metal is about a musician going deaf. The Father is about an octogenarian descending into dementia. And Minari is the story of dirt-poor Korean immigrants in Arkansas who put all their food in a barn, but then Grandma has a stroke and burns it down. Now enjoy the show! <laughs> The 2021 Oscars, brought to you by razor blades, Kleenex, and rope. <laughs> Please welcome our host, the sad emoji. <laughs> you know, <laughs> look, I don't have to leave the theater whistling, but would it kill you once in a while to make a movie that doesn't make me want to take a bath with the toaster? <laughs> we... we all had a rough year. A little escapism would have been appreciated. But your list... <laughs> but your list of movies 
It's like the menu at some stupid, trendy restaurant where all the choices are very impressive, but there's not one thing I actually want to eat. Where's the comfort food? What happened to show business? Did they all decide to quit cocaine at the same time? Did they forget? Did they forget that Hollywood is still the number one place to go if you're an egomaniac looking to fill that hole from your childhood with applause? At least that's what my therapist says to me. I don't know. (laughs) They forgot how to help people escape from their problems. And then they wonder why they're losing their audience in droves. Of course. You keep offering up the immigrant who shit in a coffee can. And (laughs) at some point, the crowd is going to go, oh, fuck it. Just give me the Netflix movie of Motley Crue taking drugs and getting blown. Academy nominations used to say, look what great movies we make. Now they say, look what good people we are. It's not about entertainment. It's about suffering, specifically yours. (laughs) It's not two hours to forget your troubles. It's traffic school at the Holocaust Museum. In 2021, if you're at the movies and wondering, huh, which one is the bad guy? It's you. Because you have indoor plumbing and the nominees don't. (laughs) This is one reason why Godzilla vs. Kong stomped at the box office last weekend and finally got people back to theaters. Because it's Godzilla vs. Kong, not Godzilla vs. Kong and his crippling battle with depression. (laughs) Not that I want to see Godzilla vs. Kong either. Jesus, is there no... Hollywood used to know... They used to know how to make a movie that was about something. A movie for adults that was also entertaining and not just depressing. There was already a category for that. Best documentary. You know, important filmmaking about the conflict in Syria or the plight of the hot dog stand owners. You know, the part of the Oscar show where you got up and went to the bathroom. (laughs) But that's the whole show now. They don't even have a host anymore. The funniest part of the whole night is the in-memoriam segment. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's such an odd psychological quirk. I, I keep asking myself, why do so many liberals have this seeming desire to want to be sad? Could it be because being sad allows you to feel like you're doing something about a problem without actually having to do anything? (laughs) Like the poor lady living in her van. There is a solution to homelessness. Building affordable housing, possibly in your neighborhood. But to... But do people, including liberals, vote for that? No, they fight it. But it does make them sad. (laughs) Without affecting home values. (laughs) Virtue signaling. 
has already ruined most of the Internet, the publishing industry, the New York Times, and most of the colleges where football isn't a priority. Please, at least, leave us the movies. Because... (laughs) In all honesty, I gotta ask, if your movie is so woke, how come I'm falling asleep? (laughs) All right, that's our show. I'll be back next week. I want to thank my guests, Heather McGee, Ryan Salam, and Senator Alex Padilla. Good night. Thank you, folks. Catch all new episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher every Friday night at 10 or watch him anytime on HBO On Demand. For more information, log on to HBO.com.